Before we start today's episode, we have a couple of thank yous. Uh, we have a few different kinds of thank yous. Uh, let's start off with our review thank yous. Yes. Uh, we want to thank Diz X Smiley Face, <laughs> Dreamer1980. And Third Door for your iTunes reviews. They're really great. Um, Dreamer19808 wrote us, like, literally our dream review. (laughs) So thank you so much. Um, It's like an entire essay. It's incredible. Everyone should go read it. It's very beautiful. Yeah, and then we also have a bunch of new patrons to thank, which is... Yay! So exciting, you guys. We are so excited. Um, so, thank you to Yana, Theodore, Mika, Zoe, Hannah, KE22, Jess, and Aaron for becoming patrons. We love you guys so much, and we are going to use this thank you to propel our announcement that starting one week from today as of the day that this comes out on october 1st we are running for all of october because it's the witchiest of months a patreon special i don't know what you want to call it it's a like exclusive if you join at the 10 or 25 dollar level during the month of october you get a custom portrait of yourself by our very own Theo Julian Forrester. What could be more exciting than that? And uh, make sure to, you know, get on that as soon as possible because we're going to cap those numbers because Theo is only one person. That's a very good point. First come, first serve, y'all. <laughs> um, okay. So they're different, uh, they're different styles of portraits at the different levels. So if you go at the $25 level, which like you get so much great stuff at the $25 level, it's extremely worth your money. But also if you join at the $25 level during the month of October, you get the same style of portrait as the one that he made of me and Jesse. So if you've been on social media... You've seen it. It's incredible. It's beautiful. You get the like full, like Gaily Prophet background behind it, full color, incredible. Uh, if you join at the $10 level, it's more of a like simple line drawing. It's still incredible. Very, very beautiful. Um, absolutely worth your money, both for the, the portrait and also for the content that you get at both of those levels. So. Join our Patreon. It's super fun. We give you way more stuff a month than almost any Patreon I've ever heard of. Because uh, we like to bite off more than we can chew. <laughs> That's our other tagline for the <laughs> I feel like overly ambitious is the tagline for any ADHD creative person. <laughs> Accurate. Yes. Like, wow, I signed up for this thing and now i better make it financially reasonable because <laughs> it's apparently now my whole job. So <laughs> yes. Great. Join our Patreon. It's very exciting. And thank you to everyone who already has. Yeah. We really, we really appreciate every, every single one of our patrons. If I could hug you in person, I would, uh, because that's just how I feel about everyone who is giving us money. It's great. 
I yeah, same. Someday we will have enough money that we can have live events at which we can hug you in person if you like hugs. The Gaily Prophet operates under the assumption that you have read the books. If you haven't read the books, go and read them. They're wonderful. And then come back to us. Otherwise, you're going to be spoiled. And that's your choice in this world. Gay people love puns. I'm dead. <laughs> we have to stop this podcast. Oh, this book causes Satanism. Is left for us to rant about. There is nothing straight about plum velvet. <laughs> you shouldn't have been drinking when I said that. <laughs> Monocles are impractical, but hot. I don't for a second believe that she is a straight person. I mean, I'm definitely here for bisexual Minerva McGonagall. Let's talk about <laughs> Harry Potter. Hello and welcome to the Gaily Prophet, a humorous yet ruthless podcast where two queer IRL witches reread Harry Potter and talk about it. So today in the virtual studio, we also have a IRL queer starting to be a witch. Yes, you're more of a witch now than you were last time you were on the show. That is fair. That's very true. I did. Did I tell you about the ritual that I did? I don't know, but you did a ritual with me to like release Rogelio's soul. So, so yeah. it helped me through my fish dying, everyone. It I was... didn't even know that was a spell. Yeah, it's so if if two people hold a crystal <laughs> in their hands simultaneously and commune with the soul of another spirit, one, you're probably having gay sex, and two, also, <laughs> you're doing a spell. So we had we had sex. I think by like Buffy the Vampire Slayer terms, yeah. you and I 100% had sex wow. outside of a closed coffee shop. Wow, wow, wow. Well, I'm glad that I know that now. I mean, and I'm, I'm glad, I'm excited that we did. Yeah. It was, it was really good for me. It was really good for me too. It made me like ready for Rogelio to die. So. It's interesting. <laughs> anyway. Um, yay, yes. witchy Who stuff. Even are you, Sarah, in case um, people haven't listened to the first tarot episode? I'm Sarah Sarwar. Um, I recorded the Gaily Prophets um, spoiler warning. And I also work for autostraddle.com. Um, I'm their business manager and also lead designer. So I do um, all the graphics and I run their store, their merch store. I do a lot of things for Autostraddle. I could talk about it for maybe an hour, but I won't. Please um, do yeah, no, like we don't have to talk about it. Um, yeah, and I live in Portland, Oregon, and I know Lark through A Camp, and subsequently Jesse through Camp, which is an auto straddle event that I also help produce and run. And yeah, that's that's me. Oh, also, I'm a in real life queer, which is a hilarious way to describe. Me. <laughs> like, look live and in your face, like real live queer. Watch how she dances. <laughs> if you follow Sarah on Instagram, you can literally watch how she dances on a very yeah. regular basis. Yeah, you can I also love, see things love such to as dance. me and Sarah rolling down hills into bodies of water. <laughs> which is oh, my favorite summertime. video of me that's ever been taken. Me too. 
Honestly, it was really good. It was really good. Yeah. So we're here. We're doing our our book and tarot recap as we as we do. The best book in the series. <laughs> Stop <laughs> telling lies. <laughs> Before we actually get into the tarot content as part of our ongoing um, study, what is it that we're doing? We're doing a scientific inquiry into the intersections of people's patroni and identities. So maybe an, uh, an I don't say examination, that seems an exploration, if you will. There are, there's many a word that's appropriate for what we're doing. <laughs> so Sarah... What is your Patronus Um, and why? This is like hashtag like basic bitch moment for me, but just like it's the first thing that came to my mind. So probably a butterfly. Shut the fuck up. I love that. I'm choking myself. I'm so upset. Um, Incredible. I love it. Okay. I have several things I want to say. First of all, I wrote in my journal two weeks ago and it said, um, I want to be chrysalis goo. And I think that that's accurate for like what I am right now as I'm going through a lot of transition mm-hmm. um, and I'm in this like very liminal, liminal space, just kind of like a butterfly who is emerging from the chrysalis. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, like it is a little bit like basic, but also I think like it's like super like as a metaphor, it's just like super accurate from where I am, where I'm at right now. Um, and it started this like line of inquiry, which is that like, do Patronuses change based on like where people are at in their lives? Like, and, or do they like go through different stages? Like, is my Patronus right now just like a chrysalis? Like if I like threw a Patronus or cast Patronus, it would just be like, like, you know, (laughs) (laughs) just like a chrysalis that like bounces around and like, you know, gets rid of the dementors. Or is it, and then like later on, like, after a few years of therapy, it's like a butterfly. I think it would be a butterfly because it's like representing like the deepest part of your soul. So even if that's still like brewing or whatever, mm-hmm. if that Crystal feels like, goo. yeah, I think that you, your actual Patronus would be like the final product of where you're getting to. That makes sense. Cause it's, yeah, it's kind of like the, that makes sense. Can they change Look, though? Speaking of tarot though, like here's <gasps> you. That's me. Yeah, this is the Two of Pentacles, which in the Wild Unknown is a butterfly. And this is a card, like, literally of what you're talking about. Like, change and progress and becoming. It's This is a great card. <laughs> also, I'm a beautiful I'm butterfly. Sure this is, like, the gayest conversation we've ever had on this podcast <laughs> to date. I have been called the gayest person that people have known. So, and as you know, I'm also an in- I- IRL queer. Yeah. So um, everything is just, you know, that's it's all converging. Cool. But thanks for showing me my tarot card. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that we should talk about before we get into the tarot? We made it, Jesse and I, in our assessment. So folks will remember that last time, I think we only made it to the tower in the major arcana Hmm. and and that's with skipping a bunch of cards because like that's just how far that book went but this one actually goes 
all the way through almost to the end of the 21 cards. And so okay, I think let's fucking go. We let's need to make started. sure that we are. <laughs> <laughs> that we're consistently talking about tarot. I know, I know, y'all, we're going to be all over the place. Three people with ADHD trying <laughs> to talk about anything. Are y'all medicated? Yes. I'm yeah. medicated. I mean, I medicated a few hours ago, so. So you like seeing the cards, yes, and we're video recording so yeah i'll hold them up anyway i'm using a different deck than last time we're using the wild unknown this time we start with the fool so this is the fool in this deck little baby duck jumping Mm -hmm. off a branch which doesn't seem like a safe place for a baby duck to be given that they swim and don't really fly too much but you know mm-hmm. whatevs that's fitting <laughs> um, and so you know every time we we do these it's the fool's journey harry is the fool like that's always gonna be the case he's like an idiot <laughs> i don't know it's like without the like negative connotation yeah it's more of like it's more of Harry doesn't know what's going on at the beginning of most of the books of the series. Yeah, it's okay. like a na- naivete as opposed to mm-hmm. idiocy. <laughs> I know. Though if the fool comes up uh, reversed in a reading, then often it's like, excuse you, you are making bad decisions. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, so actually, Jesse, can you start? Because I was interested in the way that you had talked about, like, the intersection of, like, Ginny and Harry as fool, both, like, playing into Harry's foolishness. So this is the book where Ginny also begins her journey at Hogwarts. So it's sort of, there's a literalness to her, you know being the fool, like, not, like, kind of going into this this journey without, like, you know, with some naivete. But her, her naivete and her, you know, kind of, like, starting off, you know, since she, since she's starting off and she has this diary and she's pouring so much of herself into it because she, this is all, like, so new and so overwhelming for her that, it is it is sort of part of the layer of ignorance of what is happening in this school cuz harry doesn't know what's going on no one knows what's going on it's affecting harry and he's like you know he doesn't really know what's happening and in a lot of ways neither does ginny cuz she's being possessed so mm-hmm. she is start she's starting from zero but like Harry in book one, it started from zero in a really shitty place. <laughs> Maybe even worse than Harry, actually. But it's still like, and her just like starting from zero, like just not knowing what's going on and being really vulnerable is also making Harry really vulnerable and putting him in this place where he's just like starting from zero. Yeah, and it also, it plays into Harry's journey in a really big way too because she the information that she gives Tom about Harry and Voldemort is critical to like Voldemort's investment or Tom's investment in like killing Harry. And for sure her experience here is worse than Harry's 
year one experience because he's being manipulated by Dumbledore, but he like feels a real sense of agency, which is part of like, we talked a lot about that in the last recap. Whereas Jenny, like there's zero agency taking place. Yeah. She's like literally being possessed by Voldemort. Yeah. And doesn't not know it. Right. It's like, what is happening to me? It is. That's really awful. Yeah. Poor Ginny. I feel like we could do like a whole separate fool's journey just for Ginny in this book. Slash also, I would love like a parallel, write it like a parallel book of this (gasps) book that's all from like Ginny's experience of it. Oh my God. Best fanfic ever. Oh, it'd be so good. Whoa, Jesse. Jesse, you're like magnetic, you're, magnified. Your, your um, Skype is unmuted. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, like, you were just the you basilisk like, in the walls. Like, you were like, <laughs> where is it coming from? <laughs> uh, amazing. That was really, that was amazing. I think you should just talk like that all the time, honestly. It's really good. Oh, that'd be real interesting for the sound quality of the podcast i think everyone would like it i think everyone would be like wow this is cool um yeah is there more to this i mean that's that is what i had about that i wonder because you know the magician is next and the magician is very much about like creation but there's so much at the beginning of this book where harry really like has no agency like while the dursleys are abusing him and i feel like that has to be sort of a piece of his fool here right what do you mean by creation so the magician is the card of like you are manifesting your self. You're like start it's it's so you're not starting your journey, but you're sort of sorting out what your journey really is going to be and what you're trying to mm-hmm. do. It's a card of forward momentum and like bringing into existence what you want. So magician energy is like really good energy to have anytime you're like starting a project um, or like, making big changes in your life it means that you're sort of you're combining the magician card always has all four suits of the tarot represented on it Mm -hmm. so this is what it looks like in this one so it's sort of like an alchemy card a little bit where you like are you're combining all of the different Mm. like energies of the different suits and sort of like creating what you want and obviously harry is not able to do that well like at the beginning of this book previous to being rescued by ron and the twins i just realized that neither of us put the dursley sort of anywhere in this but they definitely are somewhere (laughs) they're definitely like a, a big player in the way that harry makes his decisions and the ways that he thinks about the world. So maybe we can all like chew on where he would belong. You mean like the Dursleys as a unit? Yeah. Their role in his life. Yeah. You know, the, the Like the familial role, like the like shaping and molding, like 
more like the abuse that they inflict on him, which in the beginning of this book is like really intense and the ways that that shapes like his lens of the world. Right. And the ways that he like makes decisions throughout Mm -hmm. this book, which always, always in the Harry Potter series is sort of like too light, you know, what he deals with from them is like, never represented as it should be no he's just way too okay (laughs) i know it kind of feels like everything about the dursleys especially in like the ensuing books like after book one are it's just like sort of like us feeding into the idea that harry's life sucks at privet drive and it's like much cooler or infinitely cooler at Hogwarts. You Even know, like there's like terrible at Hogwarts. Right. Every year. But it's like the juxtaposition of the two things is just sort of like feels yeah, like I don't know. It never yeah, like you said, it never feels like there Are the Dursleys the devil always? Yeah. It seems accurate. I mean the thing about the devil is that you always have more agency than you feel like you do with the devil. So I kind of feel like they might be, maybe they're mm, the tower, this uncontrollable external force. They're not abrupt enough to be really the tower, but maybe they're the moon. Hmm. Let's keep it in mind as we progress through the cards. Sounds good. So the magician. Harry at the beginning of the school year. I don't think there's a whole lot to say about the magician in this book because it really doesn't actually play... He doesn't grow that much over the course of this book compared to Uh the previous book or really the ones that are going to come next. So, yeah, it's kind of light. When I was writing out my notes, I feel that this book in terms of looking at the tarot is all very like thinky feely stuff <laughs> as opposed to the the magician is more like action and moving forward in this mm. book not a lot of action happens until the very end but it's a lot of harry looking inward in all of these things that are happening that he has he takes in in is sort of like adjusting his sense of self throughout. Hmm. Which really rolls us into the high priestess in your very astute notes, because I was like, there is no high priestess in this book, and Jesse was like, the fuck there isn't. So <laughs> here's, here's our high priestess. Oh, kitty. Which, so high priestess 101, real quick, it's sort of this ephemeral... Mm. intuition messages from the universe tuning Mm. into your deeper self listening to the messages that you get acting on intuition kind of stuff and Mm. and now jesse because i missed it entirely i was thinking about this because once i realized this is all thinky feely feelings in this book i was like there's got to be the high priestess and then I realize that twice in this book, Harry puts on the sorting hat. And this was one time to be like, are you sure you put me in the right place? 
what if I am really a Slytherin and thus a terrible bigot? Which didn't really give him much of an answer. And then the second time, it's like, please help me. And it gives him a fucking sword. Like, a <laughs> sword materializes for his... The cry for help that he thought, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, he... I don't, it's like he... Man- he didn't manifest the sword, but he kind of did. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's, so the sorting hat is the high priestess. It, it plays the role of the high priestess. That's cool. And, and then also a little bit deus machina, because... Magical sword out of a hat out of nowhere. It's very much like good thing that happened while fighting a 50 foot poisonous murder snake. I don't know what those Latin words mean. Yeah, me either. Oh, sorry. Uh, so Dex Machina is a, a plot device that started first in like theater, which it literally means like God in the machine. It's kind of like hmm. it's so. If, it, if you're, like, watching a play and, like, all these things happen, it's like, how are they going to get out of this? And, like, the hand of God comes and, like, literally helps them out of their problems mm. is sort of what a deus machina is. And that's a little bit how the sword feels since it's, a, like, the second to last chapter. And it's like, Harry, how are you going to get out of this? You don't have a wand. You have a hat <laughs> and a bird. <laughs> and it's like, oh, now you have a sword. That's really useful. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, not, like, totally, I mean, it feels very natural in the course of the book, but also, like, literally, where did this sword come from? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's great. It's such a great moment, but also, what? <laughs> yeah, I think that, that well, the sorting hat may not, you know, be the high priestess. It's a, it's the, um mechanism by which harry is able to voice the fears that have been more like sub having an eddie izzard moment there's like literally a part of my favorite eddie izzard uh stand up where he loses the exact word that i have currently lost um submerged sublimated subsumed sub underneath it's been under yeah they've Mm -hmm. been sort of just gnawing at him without him being able to actually say them and with Mm -hmm. the sorting hat he doesn't have to intentionally voice them the sorting hat just knows and so it functions as a way for him to have that sort of higher communication Mm -hmm. without actually having to choose to do it like he would have in the moments where Dumbledore invites him to to express that for instance yeah 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 cool (laughs) okay so Empress and Emperor also I don't have anything for and I don't think I agree with you about your decisions about them but I'm gonna let you talk it out before I decide if I... I mean, I... They're trees. <laughs> so, they're I... trees. In the cards, I... listeners yeah. who are not watching this on video, they're trees. <laughs> Just let right. <laughs> oh, I guess we should, we should do the, like, what are these cards? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So the reason that they're trees in this deck is because they're both sort of symbols of stability in different ways Mm. so they're the mother and the my voice is changing it's a hot mess right now you guys (laughs) 
Oh my gosh. The mother and the father of the like the archetypes. So they are all about sort of those different forms of stable there for you energy. Um we talked a lot about the emperor in the last episode as Dumbledore and the ways that that sort of powerful masculine energy can be turned bad, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, can be abused, basically. Uh, but in its in its better form, it's just this very like stable more about rules whereas the empress is more about feelings but in both cases they sort of are just sort of those like there for you ideal what is in an ideal world like a mother and a father mm-hmm. you know those things that we all are like oh i wish that was what my parents was no matter how great mm-hmm. your parents are that's what that's what these cards are so you, you say so you just you disagreed with my i i i won't lie i was a little bit lazy with this and I felt like it felt disingenuous to not mention the kind of introduction and knowing more of the Weasleys in the beginning of this book. So what's, so Jesse, you have a hot take on the emperor and the empress. It's like I, actually, according to Lark, I have a, maybe more of a lazy take cause I didn't lazy take. This is, I did not think this one super through. It was like, gotta have him in there. And then I kept going on about the rest of my analysis. So I feel like, so I have some people who are critical to this book as minor arcana cards that we can talk about after we get through this. My issue, which you haven't actually said what it is yet. My issue with what I'm reading in my notes here, which <laughs> know, Sarah like, and the listeners don't know. What yeah, I'm like, what is that? <laughs> okay, Jesse, say what that is first. Oh, you mean uh, Molly as the Empress and Arthur as the Emperor? Yes. Even though it... Probably now that I'm saying it out loud, should have been reversed, potentially. Or do you not? Are you don't think that they're either of those archetypes? I just don't think either of them are acting as archetypes in this book. I don't think they're present enough, and they're they aren't playing enough of a role in Harry's journey at this point. I think come like even the next book, but even more so like book four, it will make more sense to read them into his journey as like more archetypical figures as he comes to rely on them more and more as parents. But in this book, they just aren't Sarah. What face are you making? Nothing. I just, I like was looking, I thought it would be nice to have a list of the characters from this book. And I found an angel fire website, (laughs) which is so like, it's so like, in a very specific moment of the internet like, like 1997 it's i'm actually re- really glad that it still exists yeah geocity sites don't exist anymore which is very sad to me but it makes me glad that angel fire still does oh my god and they're color-coded for some reason anyway i'm gonna send it to you but anyway that's why i'm making a face mm-hmm. good reason anyway yeah i just don't think that they play enough of a role moral of the story yeah, so I guess, I don't know, Jesse. how do you feel? Sarah, what do you think about their roles in this book? You haven't talked a lot yet. Who? Um, Molly who? and Arthur. Oh, well, I just, in regards to the Emperor and the Empress? 
or just in general? Just generally, like how important do you feel like they are in this book to Harry's like progress as a human? Well, I will say that they right off the bat provide like a safe space for Harry, which is something that is, I think, worth noting as they like basically Harry could have had an awful summer, you know, but then now he can have like hot girl summer at the Dursleys or not the Dursleys <laughs> at the Weasleys, you know, like, um, like tossing gnomes over the wall, like hanging out at the cool house, like dodging Ginny, you know, it's like, um, but yeah, like, I think that they're like, they, they represent to me, like, sort of like the version of what Harry's family, like, what he would want in a family. So in that case, like, I think that it does make sense that like the emperor and the empress sort of like, like emulate that some of those qualities or that the, that the Weasleys emulate some of the qualities of those two cards. Um, because like he hasn't known anything else other than the Dursleys, which are shit. Both of them are terrible mm-hmm. people. So yeah, I could see how like it's like loosely, loosely related. I um, feel like there ha- there's probably a minor arcana card where like that represents the Weasleys like overall like a port in the storm type card mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. maybe I'll be able to grab in my brain by the end of this recording. That represents that more generally because I think that part of my issue with it is that we have such bad feelings about Molly Weasley in particular and the way that yeah. she interacts with her kids that makes it really hard for me to think of reading her as either of these cards. Fair. Yeah. And it's true. She is. But yeah, Molly, you've, you've exposed the shittiness of Molly Weasley, which is like, now it can't go back. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sorry, everyone. So you're saying, so basically what you're saying is that like, even though like Harry finds comfort, I mean, in the, in, cause Molly doesn't treat Harry like, she treats her like Harry always gets a pass, like right. a free pass every time like her children are in trouble. Harry is like, oh, but not you, Harry. Yeah, that is correct. What you just said for sure. I guess I feel like when we're talking in terms of archetypes, mm-hmm. we can't separate their behavior towards one person from their sort of overall character. Mm -hmm. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So I just don't feel like Harry has an emperor or an empress in this book. This is like interesting because so he doesn't have any like, he doesn't have a magician. He doesn't have the emperor or the empress. Like what is happening to his character in this book? Like why is he floating around? We should really talk about who, like, the ghoul in the attic is, like, in this. (laughs) (laughs) You know? The ghoul actually... The ghoul actually... (laughs) You know, what's actually funny is when I was listening... When I went back to listen to the first... Our recap of book one, we did mention about how in the first season, how your voice just gets progressively deeper, Lark. I know. (laughs) I was thinking that too because I think I was in the I was in the midst of a voice change during the first one too. Maybe I just always will be. It'll be like a running theme of our tarot. 
analysis. <laughs> Love it. I mean, Sarah really likes it when my voice changes, so maybe it's just for you. Like, the timing <laughs> is just, you're manifesting this with your Like, your you wishiness. specifically, like, put forth those hormonal changes when you know that you're going to be hanging out with me because you, like, want me to be happy. Yeah, only when I'm hanging out with you on the air, because I hang out with you kind of a lot. But yeah, it would but be like, absurd if, specifically... if my voice was constantly changing. I would end up, like... And a register that no one would be able to hear because it would be too deep. What did I text you about the other day where I said that because I thought it was funny that you're like, I'm like, I'm getting so mad that it's making me squeaky. (laughs) Yes. Um, Okay. Next card. Yes. Next card. Okay. So the hierophant. Which do we? Oh, we have different things as the hierophant. Okay. So. Hierophant is uh, the closest approximation is basically like the Pope. So it's sort of a like a leader who who like sets down rules about like the way things are. It's very much about this is how we do things. This is it's about like the status quo like like tradition yeah last time it was we were talking about it as hermione right because she was sort of oscillating between being the hierophant upright and being like no i love rules we like have to do it this way and being the hierophant reversed which is like doing your own shit and absolutely rejecting right so it's like sometimes hermione loves rules and sometimes she sets snape on fire in this book so i am reading the hierophant as being fudge so when fudge comes in and is like hagrid like it's totally reasonable that we just have to like send you to torture prison because we think that you're doing something but don't worry we'll let you out if someone else is caught like it's clear from the way that he is acting in that scene that he is uncomfortable, that he doesn't actually think that she's doing this, but he's very much like, this is just how we do things in this super fucked up and immoral world that we live in. So like, gotta send you to prison. Like Lucius Malfoy is really breathing down my neck. Like, sorry. And I feel like that's, that's very Hierophant. Yes. Big Hierophant energy. (laughs) Yeah, which is not not energy we ever want big, really. No, no. no. But it is. It's big. It it's is. a lot of firefane energy. Yeah. But Jesse, you had a different read. Uh, I actually, because, okay, I, I do agree with you about Fudge, for sure, because he's really coming down with that hammer of respectability. Mm-hmm. It's like, cool, thanks. Um, I also feel that Draco brings us some Hierophant energy. He is... Draco is a source of a lot of knowledge about the pureblood tradition mm. and their bigotry. And Harry acknowledges this when they try to get information out of Draco. Um, I don't think it is a coincidence that the first time we ever hear the word mudblood in this series is from Draco. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a lot of it is that he opens his mouth and his father talks yeah but mm-hmm. he is but he's still recreating this like very traditional like 
pure blood patriarchal system for honestly a lot of this series, but especially heavy and and very illuminating, I believe, in this in this book. Because we don't get any of that really in the first book. Mm-hmm. But this is sort of this sort of blood purity bigotry is the is where Voldemort is kind of like he exploits that for his own advantage. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of one of the underlying conflicts of this series. And so, and Draco is a lot of the driving force of this, for this book. I actually think that you're right in terms of the way that things play into Harry's journey. Draco is actually probably bringing more of the Hierophant like archetype because his bullshit is playing a bigger role in what's going on with Harry in this book. Whereas what happens with Fudge here actually is setting the stage in a lot of ways for the next book, but isn't as actively affecting Harry and what's going on with him as what Draco is doing. Mm-hmm. They're, they're both at play. Uh, yeah, it's not like you can only have one asshole rule follower in your life at a time. Yeah, I, and yeah. Yes, there are a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so next we have The Lovers, which is another one that I just didn't have anything for. I I I will I will say. So I have some thing for the lovers and i think i still want to talk it out because i'm still for myself not sure if my interpretation is what i'm, I'm not totally sure of, it of myself but i'll start anyway sarah are you looking up what the card means because you want yeah. us to tell you because we forgot again oh yeah just jump, just jump in <laughs> you don't have to look it up because the listeners also probably want us to remember to explain the cards. what is the lovers aside from all of us we're all lovers. Spoiler alert. We're all dating. Snooze. <laughs> we're in a thruple. A, a, a Sorry, guys. Terror but like, It was bound to come out. <laughs> the energy between all of us is just its electric and people are starting to wonder. <laughs> That's, I'm sure, true. Um, podcast drama okay um yeah what are the what's the lovers the lovers is basically what it sounds like mm-hmm. it's about like the people in your life that like support you and hold you up and sort of those mm-hmm. really foundational relationships that that like really matter to your progress as a mm-hmm. human not to like brag or anything but like every tarot reading i've ever had in which my relationship with evan comes up we come up as the lovers so um you know hashtag soulmates (laughs) (laughs) that is fucking adorable i know yeah so cute (laughs) there was like a period where we were like having a really hard time with the fact that he like wanted to stay living in Michigan and I really wanted to leave. And we were like thinking about becoming long distance. And I went to this really great tarot reader that I love and respect and like brought that up during the reading. And she like flipped a card and it was the lovers and then like another one. And it was the three of swords. And she was like, that's not going to work. 
don't do that. It's like, cute. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we'll have to move to Portland. Um, <laughs> literally the tarot reading that instigated us moving to Portland. So. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah, I left and was like, Evan, we have to move this, to Portland. It's a very important card. It is. It is. But it's not always about romance is like right. the really important thing. It, in the last book, I think we talked about it as being like Harry developing his chosen family with Ron and Hermione and Hagrid. Right. Um. So, yeah, that's what, that's what this one is. Um, and so what I have is that for the lovers in this book, it's it's a between Harry and Tom Riddle in a, twisted, yes. in a very <laughs> twisted way. In a reversal. In a reversal. Thank you. And What do you mean? So if the lovers, like, upside is, you know, positive connection, then the reversal is ah, negative fucked up. The flip. Okay. And... Also, Ginny and Tom Riddle have this, but the diary is literally feeding off of emotions and is also what Harry thinks is a very, like, friendly, intimate relationship between him and this diary is not at all. And he's he's being manipulated by Tom Riddle. And Mm -hmm. Tom Riddle is literally feeding off of Ginny's soul is what's powering this. So it is just like a corruption of... Uh, like of a, of a of a relationship but it's still an important relationship to this book because Harry has to then confront Tom Riddle and he wants to talk about the connection between Lord Voldemort and Harry and Harry's like I'm not totally sure what's going on right now until it becomes very clear and then Neve and Max from Catfish come in they all sit on the couch oh my god Harry got catfish yeah it's not out as of this recording but catfish is the name of the final chapter or the climax chapter episode of this book i talk more about how he this is basically a very special episode of catfish because it is yeah that's fucking Um, hilarious (laughs) i think it's actually not just this book like this is the establishment of like that soul connection between Harry and Voldemort that doesn't actually get revealed until, you know, book seven, six, seven, one of those. Yeah. Seven. And so, you know, if we're thinking about this in terms of like, okay, this needs to be represented as like archetypes, this is actually like a huge one that gets carried throughout the rest mm-hmm. of the series. Yeah. Like primarily with the ways in which like Voldemort is always in Harry's head like and always like sending messages or like just like existing within Harry that's so fucking astute Sarah yeah that's so great yeah I mean that's basically all that book five is is they are fucked up relationship (laughs) yeah yeah I was so glad that you brought that up okay the chariot are we ready what is the chariot? Whoa, Lark. what is the chariot? The ch- Jesse asked. The chariot Jesse has no idea. <laughs> is like literally in almost all of these books, like the card playing the biggest role, I think, because like no one ever stops and thinks in these books. And the chariot is about going, go forward, do the thing, have momentum, like just drive and 
progress, but not always in a great okay. way. Um, okay. Oh, the chariot is a very Gryffindor card. Sure is. <laughs> Gryffindor wow. card for our Gryffindor babies. <laughs> you, how do you two feel about that as Gryffindors? Feels accurate. Gryffindors. I feel like I said that weird. Gryffindors? Gryffindors. I almost said that's not totally accurate, but there's definitely parts of my life where it's just like, I'm doing a thing. I feel like the chariot is also a very ADHD card. Um, (laughs) It's definitely the card that like goes, is like the driving force behind me doing something like graduating from my like nutrition program and being like, you know what? I think I'm just going to start a business and just like doing it without having ever thought about it previously. And it's like within a week, I'm like, I'm my own business. I'm accepting clients. You know, if I don't do it right then, it'll never happen. Yeah, there's like a really, there's like a positivity to it, too, I think. Like, it's like, are you ever going to do anything if you're like planning everything out and preparing to do the thing, you know? I don't know. I feel like Jesse's girlfriend slash my BFF, who is an extreme Virgo, would probably say absolutely there is a way to do those things with lots of planning yeah i keep i keep telling nicole that i'm like i should go to school and be a horticulturalist and she's like okay but like what are you gonna do and i'm like i don't know figure it out (laughs) honestly like virgo um Mm. You should you should totally do that, Jesse. I don't know what the yeah, fuck like, do with it. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I would be so good at that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could, you could teach at a, like a community college as soon as you graduate. That'd be fun. You could, You'd or be you a could great like teacher. have your own greenhouse and just like make crazy shit happen. Just grow mandrakes all the time. <laughs> Actually, my dream would be to grow native plants to use in rain gardens because. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. You know, Detroit is on the water. The love, the water levels are rising because of climate change. Right. Gonna need a lot to suck that shit up. Sounds like that you is- actually have a plan. So yeah. we have solved your problem. <laughs> However, oh, apparently man. we have to be done with this in an hour and we're only on card seven of 20. Okay. So okay. focus back on the chariot. Uh, so it's Hermione mostly I mean it's all of them with their like lack of planning it's Harry with like not listening to anyone about not using this damn diary but like primarily this is Hermione and this fucking polyjuice plan polyjuice plan makes no it makes no fucking sense (laughs) Hermione Hermione was like I want to brew this fucking potion we're doing this shit (laughs) And they're like, cool, how, like, when when can we take it? And she's like, in the month. And the yeah. whole month, Ron and Harry are like, Hermione, but why? <laughs> and she's like, we're doing it. We're Stop doing questioning it. me. Actually, the reason that Hermione wanted to do it is because she just wanted to be a cat, basically. for <laughs> And, like, she didn't know how else to do it other than to convince her friends that it was going to be helpful. You know, or, like kill two birds with one stone type of thing do you think it was because so i really want to run with this theory that like hermione actually did the cat thing on purpose do you think that it was because she wanted to be a cat or because she wanted to see if human to animal polyjuice potion would work and she was doing an experiment on herself Uh, Mm. 
she was totally like, does this work? Well, I become a cat. Yeah. And she became a cat person. And it... she was embarrassed by it. She really was. She's embarrassed by her lack of foresight. But also, it'd be cool to see in the dark if she had like cat senses. That'd be cool. Probably yeah. overwhelming, but kind of cool. Oh my god, what if she it's... got like all the cat sensory stuff? She's like, can hear everything scurrying in the walls. Like, there are so many <laughs> mice and rats in Hogwarts, enough to feed a fucking basilisk for a thousand years, and mm-hmm. however many cats are running around. Also, Ooh. the mice come out of Christmas crackers and they're transfiguring stuff. There's mice everywhere, you guys. Do you think that, like, while she was the cat, she could hear the basilisk? You know? Yeah. It's probably. Um, is Lockhart a chariot? <laughs> In, like, a reverse way? Or, I don't know. I mean, I think that Lockhart definitely... No, he's too strategic to be the chariot. I mean, he's not, though. He just, like, releases pixies, and he's like, I don't know, I'll just, like, obliviate everyone oh. later. Yeah, so this we've had this ongoing conversation all season, right, about the discrepancies between who mm-hmm. Lockhart is fundamentally, given what he has achieved, and who Lockhart is at Hogwarts, and those two things, like, literally can't be the same person, mm-hmm. um, which is just, like, poor writing i guess um so for if we're thinking about it as like who lockhart would have to be in order to have done what he's done no to the chariot lockhart at hogwarts yes i absolutely think so yeah yeah if 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 lockhart had gotten a tarot reading before he took this job (laughs) he would have gotten the chariot reversed reversed also probably the tower and also judgment anyway he would have gotten a it would have been a really bad tarot or like a really like don't fucking do this tarot reading for sure Mm. like this is gonna ruin your life absolutely stop right now Ooh, we should we should post a photo of what that spread would look like for luck (laughs) oh my god yeah totally let's do that so Next up, we have Justice, key eight. Aww. This card is, like, very straightforward, uh, like, name to meaning. But, it, it, you know, it's about, it's about right and wrong. It's about sort of, like, objective black and white, like, the right, what's the right thing to do? Are you acting in a way that aligns with your morals? Are you making the choices that you will feel good about 10 years down the line. So I would say justice is like the biggest theme in this book, really. If we were to sort of distill this book down, you know, we've already talked about how sort of trajectory-wise nothing really happens for Harry in this book. Um, He's not like, moving forward in his life, he's like Jesse said, it's sort of this, um, it's more like emotional growth and development. And that is coming through the things that he's learning in 
mostly in terms of like justice and right and wrong. Like we have Dobby, we have Hagrid being sent to prison and we have Harry being unjustly accused of being the heir of Slytherin. And in all of these cases, Harry is getting, his eyes are being opened to the fact that this world that he has entered is not maybe the safe haven that he had been believing it to be. It's not this like opposite to what he's experienced with the Dursleys. But in fact, this is like a deeply fucked up world that needs saving from a lot more than Voldemort. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 There's a lot of, different levels of justice that happen. Um, I also just want to mention, of course, the very cartoonish quote-unquote justice that Lockhart gets where he just has brain damage. And it's just sort of like... Then we don't think about it again until we see him in the hospital in book five. In which it's again like LOL and again like that's not funny. That's not funny yeah i didn't even i didn't even think about that although that absolutely is like an in it's funny because like the the things that i had mentioned those are all like extremely nuanced and sort of real to what life actually is and then that thing with lockhart is actually very like children's story like bad things happen to bad people and like it's very cartoony yeah and is is the opposite of nuanced or realistic which is really interesting to have that in the same book you know to have all of those things together in that way yeah, what do you think J.K. Rowling was, like, going through when she was writing this book? <laughs> Whoever is based on Lockhart, she fucking hates. She hates that person, for sure. Definitely. Uh, yeah. People, mm. one of the things about fanfiction that people love to complain about is how when people insert themselves into a fanfiction and, like, have things happen, but... <laughs> Writers who are published do this all the time. Lockhart is clearly someone that JKR has known and hates and is like, you're going to have permanent brain damage. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, I'm bringing it up later. Like, just <laughs> just to, like, double down on that feeling. Yep. You're still 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 brain damaged in the hospital. LOL. So everybody knows. <laughs> still riding this train. Um. <laughs> uh, Hermit? I don't have any... Oh. You do. Oh. You have the thing about Myrtle. If y'all hadn't realized this by now, I'm coming out of this book really loving Myrtle. <laughs> Same. Yes. Same. We have to... Can you uh, 101 what the hermit is, though? All right. So the hermit card is... Oh, my God. I'm not as good at these as... Uh, <clears throat> I can do it. Yes, if you wouldn't mind doing this. Sure. Great. Um, the hermit is about sort of going into a period of contemplation where 
you are sort of you're like tuning out all of the external stuff that's coming at us all the time about what we should be doing and like really just like looking inward um it's a period of growth but it doesn't look like growth it looks like like from the outside it could be interpreted as being stagnant but in fact you are doing a lot of like inner work which now that I'm saying that and just talked about what's happening for Harry in this whole book, I'm like, Harry actually might be in sort of like a hermit period because he is doing a lot of like emotional growth in this book, but it is maybe not as intentional as I feel like the hermit often is. Mm. Um, but yeah, Jesse has a cool reading of how the hermit is showing up. Um, so part of, you know, the hermit is also like, you know, it's there's a... Like, you know, solitude, to use that as sort of like, you know, to, for reflection. And what is great about Myrtle is that she she provides, like, actual, literal, like, solitude and protection for the gang to, like, make this ridiculous potion. And then, and, like, through, like, knowing her, are able to be like, oh, hey, how did you die? And it's like, let me tell you about all this exposition <laughs> that's going to help you finish that puzzle. And... It keeps happening in the book series, like for Draco in book six and like even a little bit in book four when Harry's like talking to her in the prefix bathroom where like Myrtle is always by herself. Like you don't, except for the death day party, we never see Myrtle with other ghosts or like with other people. So it she is like herself a very solitary figure, but also a very like supporting solitary figure because she, mm-hmm. she befriends Draco and- I feel like Myrtle is like, a Scorpio. <laughs> Why? Because she's like really, really deep in her feelings and hates everyone. But when she decides to like someone, she does it really profoundly and is like super able to like show up and listen and understand what you're going through without you having to state it. Expl- like she's very psychic in a way, right? She reads people really well. And when, yeah, like, she likes to play a supporting role when she feels like someone deserves it. But like most of the time she's like, I actually do not give a fuck about you and I'm not going to spend any time or energy on you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she cries all the time. Like, I feel like she, (laughs) as someone who's like primarily a Scorpio, I'm like, I identify with that. That's cool. A lot. I I feel like we should just make a decisive uh, decision to read Myrtle as a Scorpio. Yeah. Cool. Also, like, the bathroom is where where she inhabits space. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's a very contemplative, like, like place to be in. It's like, you're in the shower, you know, you're like, you're sort of in this little uh, cocoon um, and allowing yourself to just have be with your own thoughts. And And when you're in a public space, that's like your safe space to go like have an anxiety attack there's Absolutely. nowhere else that you go bathroom stall 100 yeah. percent. yeah also speaking of bathrooms um myrtle it like haunts the bathrooms at the wizarding world in orlando and also <laughs> also in um california like at, at universal studios like you walk into the bathrooms and you can hear her just having lots of feelings a lot of dripping sounds it's it's beautiful that's incredible yeah it's, it's so good 
I would like to also add that like profoundly misunderstood is like a deep Scorpio trait. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, as we've discovered through the course of reading this book, Jesse and I both fell victim to the way that JK Rowling wanted us to read Myrtle without actually realizing that she's like a goth princess hero. Yes. And she is. (laughs) Yeah. She's very dark, you know. She got killed by a snake, you know. Mm-hmm. She's like super goth princess vibes. Yeah. I love her. Myrtle I love her. To- Myrtle totally writes sad poems that she wants to read to someone. Um, <laughs> but they have to deserve to hear them. You know? She, to- she totally would read Draco like sad poems that she wrote because he's so tender. He's so tender. So many... So many Myrtle feelings. Myrtle, <laughs> Myrtle's awesome. I love Myrtle. We should, um, Sarah. Well, you wanted to to join us for one of our queer blur. We should we should come up with a plot for a a Myrtle queer blur. It'd be really fun. Okay, listeners, that's one of our Patreon exclusives. Comes out every month. It's like where we we do like the campfire storytelling game where you take circle take turns going in a circle and coming up with pieces of the plot of a story and it's fanfic about harry potter it's great Super oh my great. gosh jesse did you put up the fanfic which like where harry and um the basilisk have a conversation is that already up on the patreon it is <gasps> i'm going to read it. it it takes a while but it is it is there it's very good Okay, so Wheel of Fortune is next, which this literally, this is what just What going. is the Wheel of Fortune, Lark? <laughs> uh, it's the Lark. wheel in the sky that keeps on turning, <laughs> and you don't know where you'll be tomorrow. Oh, the wheel in the sky keeps on turning. Okay. I don't know, I don't know, no, I don't know. That's that's what the Wheel of Fortune is. That's like literally. Um it's just like things are changing in your life and you can't do anything about it, but like try your best to roll with it. That's like the big, big thing with the Wheel of Fortune is flexibility and being willing to embrace that change because if you don't, then the change will hurt a lot whereas if you do you will be able to like grow and the nice thing about harry being kind of constantly in that um like chariot energy is that he is really on board for the fact that his life is in constant upheaval Mm -hmm. um he does a great job with the wheel of fortune yeah a better job than i feel like i do so he's just like why are things happening in the background i don't know about yeah just let me know um and i and for me i i feel that lucius malfoy is really rolling that wheel of fortune for harry uh with his ridiculous plot to have the diary be at hogwarts for question mark reasons getting back at author weasley question mark question mark um but is causing you know these events to unturn yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense i mean there's it's never it's never made clear in this very confusing plot (laughs) about what role lucius expected 
this all to play on Harry, though Dobby obviously knew that Harry was going to get roped in to all of this. But even if Malfoy had like no intention of this affecting Harry in this way, like just, yeah, just him like furthering both his personal vendetta against Arthur and his political agenda against Dumbledore. Yeah. Is, is the driving factor of all of this, even though it's like a driving factor that we cannot understand when critically reading this book. (laughs) Right. And also either known to him or unknown to him furthering Voldemort's agenda to mm-hmm. try to murder Harry. Murder. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I feel like also is Dobby is Dobby spinning the wheel a little bit? Because I f- feel like everything that Dobby causes in the books is not doesn't do a lot to like move the plot along aside from the part of the plot where this person who has like aggressively harmed Harry numerous times is still Harry still realizes that Dobby is a sympathetic character that he should help, which is like a huge development for Harry as a person. Yeah. It tells us so much about who he is that he doesn't Mm -hmm. just hate Dobby, but is like, your life is unjust and like, I should help you. That's so true. Yeah. But you know, nothing that happens to Harry as a result of Dobby's decision making, I don't think is like critical to the plot moving or to like Harry's, I don't know. What do you think? No, that makes sense. Cause I mean, he does cause a lot of upheaval in the plot of the book, but like, it's just, sort of more for like the adventurous parts of the narrative like oh now they have to fly you know the car to school and now they have to do this or that but like you said it's it's the the larger picture does it does make sense that like Dobby is brought in for other reasons other than to like shape or sort of be like a driving force behind a lot of things which is like unseen force I was thinking about it in terms of that Harry didn't know who was behind those things until later, right? So, But Dobby never, Harry never gets that information from Dobby. At the end of the book, Harry's like, you told me it wasn't Voldemort. And Dobby's like, no, dude, before he was he who must not be named, you could say his name. Get it? Harry's like, I did not get get it. it. No one got it. That was the worst (laughs) clue ever. So despite Dobby's desperate attempts to maybe shape what Harry is going through, he fails utterly. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Dobby. Dobbs. Love him. My dude. (laughs) Just like dropping cakes on ants, you know, this. Is that it? Not a thing that people say? Or no, sorry. Dobby dropped a cake on um, the Dursley's guests. Yes. You know? I, like, literally thought you meant ants like the insect. Like, Like you're trying to, like, solve a bug problem by giving them food. And was that was, like, a really legitimate metaphor that... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's what I meant. Honestly, that's what I meant. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Strength? 
Do you have anything for strength? You do. Okay. I do. Oh, you do, and it's so good. Uh, All right. What strength? Strength is this lion. It's often a lion. Um, it's cool. It again is another one that like really is what it sounds like. Um, it's but it's about it's emotional strength. So like the reason the lion has like a rose in its mouth. Um, it's because it's about like situations where you could go at it really like intensely, but the right way to address it is sort of summoning this like strength from within and doing the brave thing as opposed to maybe the reactive thing. Um, Like don't text your ex, like that kind of vibe. Sure. (laughs) If you did a tarot reading on whether or not you should text your ex, I can imagine that strength would come up as your advice card for sure. Also, if your good friend was like, I'm going to text my ex, you'd be like, fuck no and take their phone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which is really how... It's showing up in the book. Yeah, Jesse. Yeah. So uh, the archetype for strength in this book that I feel like is actually Ron. Um, we did not have an archetype for him in the last book. Did we? I don't think we did. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I mean, he so- showed up in The Lovers, but. Yeah. Uh, it's sometimes hard to place Ron because because this book is so much about Harry's emotional growth. It's sort of like Ron is just here making jerky 12-year-old boy comments. <laughs> um, but... On further reflection, Ron really shows the fuck up for Harry throughout this entire book. Um, and the twins in what I believe is one of the best parts of this book when the twins are escorting Harry through the hallways to be like, make way for Slytherin to kind of make fun of the fact that the entire school thinks that he's the heir of Slytherin. And they're like, LOL, we're just going to make this hilarious <laughs> and like show up for him emotionally when like, the twins literally did not have to do that. And it's, right. and you know, they don't have to f- steal their dad's flying car and rescue Harry. And Ron sure as fuck does not want to go into the forest with fucking nightmare spiders, but he goes because he's ride or die for Harry. And that's hot. Like Ron's like courage and strength in this book is actually pretty commendable. Cause there is no one I'd go into a forest full of nightmare spiders for. No, no, no. one. Like, spiders the size of rooms right. dropping from the trees. Exactly. You know? When that's your literal worst nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. No, honestly, hearing you say this makes me feel like we missed a bunch of opportunities to really gush about Ron's good behavior. Um, though I think we did definitely commend him a lot for the spider situation. But, yeah, he really, he really does very good best friending in this book and like lends Harry the strength that he needs to be able to navigate the whole school thinking that he's trying to murder them. Right. And I feel like a lot of our critique is that the things that Ron shows up for Harry for are terrible ideas. Yeah. So overall we're like, why are you doing this terrible idea? But Ron, besides the nightmare spiders, doesn't even question not doing the these like ridiculous terrible idea like chariot plants he's like i'll be the chariot with you it's great you're correct 
Um, so this is this is not in any way related to the tarot stuff, but I had a realization of a correction that we like a huge correction that we missed that I feel like we have to address before we leave this book, which is that Hagrid sends them into the forest saying if anyone wanted to find out what was going on, they would just need to follow the spiders, mm-hmm. which you guys means that Hagrid knows that it's a basilisk. Oh fuck! What? There is no, there is I no know. way. There's no way Hagrid would not know a giant monster that spiders are afraid of. Right. Holy shit! I know. It's not like baby thirteen-year-old Hagrid who adopted a giant nightmare spider <laughs> didn't read every fucking book on how those spiders exist in the world before she hatched that egg. She is a very, very good monster mom. And, like, Bastos are pretty much dragon-adjacent. They're giant lizards. What? She would not have read every book about giant monster lizards. What the fuck? And and also that, that advice literally doesn't make any sense if she wasn't meaning to have them find out it was a basilisk. Like if you want to know what's going on, follow the spiders. Like the only thing they learn from the spiders is it's a basilisk. TLDR. Like, can I, can you just tell us why, why do they have to go to the nightmare forest? I mean, why didn't, why didn't she just tell literally anyone after the first time? Do you think she's like deep shame from, you know, her past and the fact that she like was expelled and like it's like all like trauma shit for telling her, them you know? that it was a basilisk would have stopped her from going to prison <laughs> oh my god it's it's just really upsetting wow what is what like honestly it was jk rowling just like did she feel a little lackluster this time around? Was she just like, you know what, celebrating the... Because, like, what was the energy surrounding book one? Like, book one, she finally, like, they sold it in to Bloomsbury. Bloomsbury. This is a UK edition. And, and she was like, finally, somebody bought my book. Yay. And then they're like, okay, write the second one. And she was like, okay. And she just was like, Maybe she was like on drugs. <laughs> I mean, I think that the thing is that the first book is also full of plot holes if you don't read Dumbledore is Evil. So anyone who's not reading Dumbledore the way that we're reading Dumbledore and was trying to actually analyze the plot would have would find as many plot holes. It's just in that book you can explain all the plot holes by being like Dumbledore did it. Mm. There isn't anything like that for this book because mm. there no one is manipulating Harry in that way. Um, that's that's a really it's a really huge plot hole though. I know. I just think that this book just isn't it isn't plotted as tightly as the rest of the books in the series are. I don't quite know why. 
but I think it's I think it's the weakest book in the series, yeah. like plot wise. Yeah, like a lot of important things happen, but yeah, it's a lot about like Harry's emotional growth and like plot holes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which I guess is what emotional growth can feel like to other people in your life, you know, who are observing you. Just like, where's Sarah? You know, like, why isn't she at this dance party? <laughs> like, I'm taking my fifth bath of the day. Sorry. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm just, like, moaning, in a moaning myrtle state of mind, so. You just want to yeah. hang out in your U-bend and, uh, you know, yeah. think, about, think about death. So. Think about death. It's a metaphor. That's so, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> oh. All right, we're on a time frame, so now that that tragic plot hole has been exposed, let's let's move to the hanged man. I mean, I think we can kind of roll the rest of... Like, I feel like a lot of the rest of these cards are basically the last, like, two chapters of this book. Yeah, and this one is really straightforward. So The Hanged Man is about... um, It's similar to The Hermit in a lot of ways, but it's sort of like... You're towards the end of your hermiting, and you're, like, about ready to get up and go, and you're sort of in this moment of, like, what's the right next step? Um, honestly, I feel like this happens very quickly for Harry and Ron. They're like in the hanged man while they're sitting in the common room after Jenny has been taken. And then the Hangman. not everyone reads the Hangman reversed in the same way, but I read it as like, you made a decision. Like you recently came out of a period of like trying to make a decision and now you've done it. And that's how it always comes up for me in readings. So so it just like flips, you know, in a matter of like, I don't know, four to six hours, however long they're up there. And they're like, you know what, actually, let's go in the Chamber of Secrets. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, guys. Let's yeah. go to the Chamber of Secrets. I like, I like Jesse, I like your read that Salazar Slytherin didn't put the snake on the faucet that Dumbledore, or not Dumbledore. <laughs> God, <laughs> Voldemort dead. <laughs> just like, boom. This is like a decoration that I, I mean, made. There's definitely desks somewhere in Hogwarts where like it's etched like I am Lord Voldemort somewhere. <laughs> totally. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we don't have the, we don't have death or temperance mm-hmm. in this book, which is fine. Okay, so next we have the devil, which is a card about fear and being stuck and feeling like you don't have choices and, like, outside influences stopping you from being able to live your best life. Last time we had it as Snape, who was sort of like... Harry was putting so much focus on Snape that he was missing the actual bad guy, basically. I think the devil in this book is a little more actual bad guys. I have it as Lucius Malfoy, who is definitely this sort of like, you know, actor creating all this drama 
But I do also feel like a key part of the devil card is that you don't have to be in the spot that you're in. Like you can walk away from it if you figure your shit out. And I actually don't think that that's the case with Lucius Malfoy. Harry is very much, he's not, I guess he actually could just be like, fuck it and not like go to the chamber. So maybe, maybe he does have more choice there than I was thinking. I feel that the choice that Harry made, which is to go to the chamber is actually kind of huge. Like this kid is 12 and knows like eight spells and didn't have a magic sword when he went in there. So could have just left it up to Lockhart, quote unquote, left it up to Lockhart or, or like joined everyone in assuming that like, that was the end of, end of Ginny, Mm -hmm. that she was already dead. They were going to find her, skeleton maybe one day and like that would be it and all of like lucius malfoy sort of manipulations have gone up to this point Mm. and harry still decides to make the ridiculous choice (laughs) i mean the heroic choice but in reality the ridiculous choice of trying to save jenny that is a much better reading than what i just said pretty similar reading yeah i feel like but also opposite because i was like he could have just like not played into malfoy's trap and not gone in the chamber but you're correct that actually like harry was like denying sort of the like logical thing which would be to not go in the chamber which maybe was like malfoy's a objective was to like get hogwarts closed down question mark and like have a new school start or something maybe he wants to be headmaster i don't know yeah so he does he he, harry really is like making his own decision and sort of like walking away from the fear that that lucius has been sowing in that moment on a less serious note lockhart is also the devil uh in this series uh, especially the parts that are about like unchecked ego and materialism and how those things can like hold you back and mm-hmm. just Lockhart being the most useless <laughs> and the most fame obsessed. I think that he, you're right that he like is a devil figure. I don't think he's the devil for Harry in That's this fair. book, but like 100% he is like the embodiment of what the devil card is about. I think that that's like a really good read. I would have probably said like Voldemort, but so obvi, you know, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Were were you not sure we were going to get that? Hmm? (laughs) I said, were you not sure that we were going to understand? What's obvi? (laughs) Yeah, I was like, also that's Snape's favorite word. I don't know if it's filmic or if it's like, is it in the books too that he says obviously, or is that just like a, you know, obviously? Is that, that? Alan Rickman as Snape, or is that from? That's like Alan else? Rickman as Snape. Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know. I've only seen the movies like once, so. 
It might just be a movie. It's a movie thing. I hate them. Oh my gosh, we should have a Harry Potter hate watch. Jesse and I did the first one already, and someday, actually, when we meet our second Patreon goal, I am going to learn how to, like, actually edit film and be able to do the, like, picture-in-picture with the video, like, the actual movie playing and stuff. Um, But we actually have to, like, make some money before I can do that. It's great, though. We play a drinking game where we have to take a drink every time Ron makes that fucking face that that actor makes every five seconds. I'm actually more charitable about the movies, but the later movies mainly because the earlier movies aren't good. It isn't good until movie three, which objectively is the worst adaptation, but I think one of the best movies. I hate them all with the fiery passion. Anyway, speaking of fiery passions, The Tower. The Tower. The Tower. Boom, 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 boom. Which is a card about? Towers. Big dramatic change. It is it is your tower crumbling, being hit by lightning and crumbling around you. It Gosh. is as dramatic as it sounds. But it can sometimes be yes. something good. Okay. It's anything that like <gasps> after it happens, everything in your life is different than it was before. Mm-hmm. I mean and also, like, I think that both the tower and the death card, usually if they show up, it's like, yeah, that's probably going to serve you. Right, because it's change, yeah. and change mm-hmm. inevitably causes you to push yourself into uncomfortable spaces and grow. Yeah. So, yeah. But, like, the actual event itself, like, the tower crumbling, all that stuff, like, that's probably not, like, you can't really, like, as it's happening, see the silver lining right. in that. It's yeah. It's usually not fun. It's not a fun card. No. Hmm. Um, and it's also Are a there card any that fun in cards? both positions is sort of the same thing. Where it's like in its reverse position, it's like yeah, that's still happening. It's just like a little less. Mm. Though sometimes it can be in like you're resisting too much. Anyway, I feel like the tower is like this whole book. Like it's just like a series of towers basically like harry keeps getting (laughs) this like big upsetting information like one piece at a time Mm -hmm. so like him having the sorting hat confirm that he would have done well in slytherin him learning that he like parcel tongue is like an evil quote-unquote thing um voldemort telling him that they're alike uh Obviously, like, Ginny being taken and Harry almost dying and all of that, like, that's the most straightforward. But I feel like each of these things that happens to Harry throughout the book is, like, its own sort of individual disaster for Mm -hmm. him. And, like, things that he's going to have to pick up the pieces of in order to, like, figure out who he is and how he wants to move forward in his life. Mm -hmm. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) I'm just imagining, like, every time something happens, like, it's like he has, like, some bricks, and then it crumbles, but he has a new brick that's the new information, and so he's like, all right, parcel mouth, okay, whatever, and then, and he's like, god damn it, and then it's, like, doing it again, and it's like, all right, how do I fit this in? Oh, I have a connection to Voldemort. Where do I put this into this tower that I'm building of myself and my story? Ah. Yeah. 
feel like is there one that's the worst? Is it when Harry gets catfished by Voldemort? <laughs> I I reckon it's I like probably the part like, where I'm like making... he gets bit by a snake and almost dies. Yeah, really, that's... everything that happens to him oh, yeah. in the Chamber of Secrets is it's a lot. Is just him being in a crumbling tower. <laughs> yeah, it's literally crumbling. Um, and then Fox the rebuilds it for him. <laughs> yeah, Fox is like, "What's up?" Um, yeah, I think the tower sucks. Like the or the sorry, the chamber sucks a lot because like goes in there and he's just like, "Oh my god, the monster is an actual giant snake." You know, but it's also this beautiful boy that I also, thought yeah. I could trust. Also, my new friend is wildly attractive <laughs> and also Voldemort somehow. Even though I can't, where? How did he become? And who hasn't been there? You know, <laughs> who hasn't? Fair. It's like going on a Tinder date and being like, "You do not look like your picture." I think you it's know? more like going on a Tinder date. And then finding out that they're a Republican, you know, mm-hmm. both, 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 because yeah. we all know what Voldemort looks like because we saw him, you know, after the weird maze that he had to go through in the last book. That's true. He looks like a snake. So who is this charming, handsome boy? And also, is this what Who happens? Keeps looking at is this adulthood? Hunger, such <laughs> hungry looks that Tom has for Harry. So hungry. This is very homoerotic. Sure. Can is. we talk about the gay content right here? Yeah, absolutely. Have you already discussed this? I mean, in the episode on chapter eighteen. Yeah. Yeah. But that doesn't. Mm. That doesn't mean we can't discuss it more. It, it 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 is it is very it's a very charged scene. Where <laughs> here is like, please help me, Tom. And Tom is like, no. <laughs> I, yeah, he don't just you, stands don't idly you know who by. I am yet. And it's like, no. Yeah. Cute boy from the diary? What? Tom just like can't stop staring at Harry and Harry just can't get through his head that anyone like that pretty and charming could possibly be a bad guy. And it's just so awkward for so many minutes. <laughs> it takes Harry so long to realize <laughs> that Tom Riddle's trying to kill him. Yeah. He and is- like literally has to spell it out. He's like, okay, let me draw it in the air for you. <laughs> Such a good thing I've practiced this anagram spell for 20 <laughs> hours in my bunk. Oh alone. my gosh. <laughs> he did. He had to like figure that spell out. I can't wait to use this. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It really paid Maybe. off. It did. It's really dramatic. So much time in the Slytherin common room with Vol- with Voldemort doing that with his wand. Everyone is being like, oh, okay, we get it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a I cool- am Lord Voldemort. It's like, okay. Whatever, Tom. <laughs> Let's go to herbology. I do want to... We'll talk about this more later. I feel like there's a real slippery slope in the, like, making fun of Tom Riddle changing his name thing. And especially with, like, Dumbledore insisting on, like, not... On, like, calling him Tom and then, like, Harry calling him Tom that, like, gets into, like, dangerous, like, rejection of chosen name territory. And I just want to specify that, like... Chosen names that mean fear of death in French and are because you want to murder everyone, it's okay to make fun of. 
and no other chosen No other names. name change. Yeah. 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 Also, when you want to murder people but, and your chosen name is an anagram of your original name and you spell it out in the air to show how clever you are that you made this anagram out of your original name is dorky for a villain and thus <laughs> okay to make fun of. Dorky! Yes. If you're, if you're just a regular, you know, you're living your life and you want to make your new name an anagram out of the anagram of your old name, you go for it. Absolutely. There's a website for you. It's called anagrammer.com. Super fun. Whoa. It is. That's so cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, very nearly my name anagrams to gay malarkey, which is <laughs> super fun. <laughs> Something I'm very into. Um, I can't believe that isn't any of your... your. It was my name on Instagram for a while. Having it be your real name makes sense, though, since you have a business. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, Anagram are super fun. Everyone go use it. We will not make fun of you. Anagrams are nerdy and cool, just not for Voldemort. End of yeah. End of rant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, the star. So here's this very pretty card that comes after the tower. This is like when you're coming out of everything crumbling and you're starting to like get a sense of your life again. Stars a really nice card. It's just sort of like light on the horizon, like everything's looking more manageable and feeling feeling better and more peaceful. I think that in this book, Fox is showing up as the star for Harry. Yeah, so everything's crumbling around Harry, and then here comes Fox, like literally the manifestation of Harry's faith in Dumbledore as the symbol that everything will be okay, paying off. Like, that's so literal. Uh He... So, like, the star, if you read a description of it, we'll talk about, like, hope, right? Like, the tower has happened, and, like, the star is, like, you have hope, like, you have faith again, things are gonna be okay, and, like, Fox comes in singing a song that fills Harry with a sense of hopefulness. Like, Mm -hmm. it is so incredibly on the nose. You know, he heals Harry's literal physical wounds. He provides all the tools that Harry needs to be able to make it out of this scene. Um, he gets them. And then literally gets him out of the scene. Yep. At the Like if you had, if you were creating a Harry Potter based tarot, you would have Fox be the star a hundred percent. Absolutely. What a beautiful card that would be. Yeah. That'd be so good. I mean, not the design of Fox in the movies. Cause I feel like in the movies, Fox looks terrible. Yes. But like a real <laughs> Phoenix design. Right, like a gorgeous, like, hawk, swan, peacock combination. Yeah. Attention, Theo Julian Forrester. (laughs) Ping, ping. (laughs) 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 Okay, so the star, and then you move from the star to the moon, which is fun. Like, the Major Arcana really likes to take you on a little roller coaster, which is how life really is. Realistically, the moon is a rough card. Um, You're sort of like 
confused, unsure about how to move forward. I personally like the moon and I feel like the moon shows up in tarot readings when it's like, yeah, things are rough right now, but you should probably like do some hallucinogens in the woods and you're going to figure it out. Literally what I typically tell people when it comes up in a reading for them. I'm like, I don't know if you like tend to take hallucinogens, but if you wanted to, now would be a great time. It You just need to like get in like your psychic space and sort of like figure your shit out. But if the moon comes up, like things are scary. Um, nothing feels like you can trust it. Uh, so we have the moon here as Tom. My notes say illusions and tricks is a literal bad memory. So again, it's like very on the nose as if JK Rowling was like using the end of the major arcana to plot (laughs) the end of this book. Um, It is just like so incredibly literal to like a very basic description of what this tarot card is. And especially if we think about as an extension of Tom being the mood like the basilisk and then you have the phoenix and the basilisk and it's like Fox is like literally murdering this like terrible memory of bigotry and murder yep. and filling and filling Harry with hope and it's very lovely it is the sun the sun comes after the moon the sun is about like joy and fulfillment and a sense of success again very on the nose Harry like Harry saves the day and heavy quotation marks because literally Fox did all of the work um <laughs> Like, even the work of, like, stabbing the diary, Harry wouldn't have thought of if Fox hadn't been, like, flung it into his lap to be like, stab this thing, kid. Um, But, you know, Harry feels very accomplished, you know, and they fly out of the chamber having experienced Mm -hmm. success and save Jenny and, you know, permanently harmed Lockhart irreparably so and I mean and and Harry frees Dobby from yes but I feel like that's judgment that's fair I do have that for judgment but I really just kind of have the last two chapters are like the tower and the star and the moon and the sun and judgment is like literally the like interesting parts of this book yeah absolutely all those things crammed together (laughs) yep um yeah so I think We end with judgment here. I don't think we make it to the world, uh, which is fine. So judgment is like your last step before completion. Like you, you did the thing. It's similar to the justice card, but kind of deeper. It's very much about like weighing everything and like figuring out who you want to be, I guess. In the, like, sort of traditional tarot deck, it's like the angel Gabriel, like, rising up people from the dead. You get to sort of decide, like, where you're going. Mm. Right, it's like the rebirth after death card. Yeah, and it's like the last piece of your work before you reach completion like this is your Mm -hmm. final hurdle is making sure that you like made 
all the choices that you meant to make and you did all the things that you needed to do to like complete the journey that you're on. So it's not like Mm -hmm. completion, it could be completion of your life, but like it's completion of a particular piece of your life. It's not, and then you start over. Um, You're never done with this. So for Harry here, like Mm -hmm. he gets to speak his truth, right? To the Weasleys and McGonagall and Dumbledore, you know, everything gets cleared up he gets to sort of like confess his sins all the really bad shit he did this year with that chariot energy and he also frees dobby which is like this giant justice learning experience that he's had this year he gets to the end of that learning experience and like gets to make a choice to do right and he does and I feel like in a lot of ways, the Harry's choice to like free Dobby has just as much weight and positive repercussions in his life as like saving Ginny, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. really. And it's interesting just because like Harry feels like he needs to save Ginny. He was going to do that. Like, you know, this family like has started to adopt him. Like Ron is his best friend. It's the right thing to do. Ginny is a fellow human being. Mm-hmm. Dobby is not. Dobby is an a, a non-human magical being that has caused him quite a lot of harm. And he could have just been like, all right, peace out. Have fun living with uh, Lucius Malfoy. But he was like, oh, this is wrong. This is terribly wrong. I think it's also <laughs> like, even with people, we look at, oh, like, Jenny was like kidnapped by someone this is a situation that we look at and we're like, okay, I understand that that's bad. And like, we have to save her. Whereas Dobby and Malfoy, it's more like seeing someone hit their kid in public or seeing someone be like terrible to a service worker situations where you're like, I'm not in that where people very frequently fail to act Um, Mm -hmm. because you're like, oh, it's not my business, you know, that's between them and stepping into situations like that is harder. Like it's the, whatever it is like inside of you that you have to like step past to like interfere with someone else's shit just because you see that it's wrong. It's much more difficult to take those steps And be like, it may not be my business, but I know what's right and I know what's wrong and I still have to say something. And I feel like Harry makes those choices just as effortlessly as he does things that, like, put him in physical harm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Harry would never let someone be mean to a service worker. No. Although we do see him let Sirius be mean to Creature, which is... That is actually, I feel like... Very complex. It is. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And maybe is like more complex because he's in, he's actually in that life. He's like in, whereas if he saw it from the outside, I actually don't think that he would. Yeah. If it was, if it was anyone but serious, he would have stepped in. And I think after that, I think he learned his lesson. Yeah. So anyway. It also just speaks to the books, like understanding of like good and evil and like how segmented they are because like creature is part of the like evil and like 
Dobby isn't, you know, like there's this sense of um, like okayness that the book has about treating those characters like differently, you know. But it is one of those spaces where the books actually do a really good job with like nuance because when we revisit Creature in book seven, it's like Mm -hmm. Creature wasn't actually evil. Creature is loyal to people who are kind to him. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that's true of a lot of humans also yeah where it's like you may hold beliefs that i find fundamentally like deplorable but in a lot of cases i think that people hold those beliefs because like that's who the people that that's what the people that they trust believe and like right when given opportunities like i don't know going to college and getting different worldviews from other people who are also kind to them, like, they get to think for themselves and make their own choices. Mm-hmm. And, like, I feel like what's super nuanced about that is that, at least for me, like, reading that chapter with Creature, it's like, your feelings do a complete 180 where you're like, oh, shit. Dude, like... And then it's, it's just it's just sympathy. Like, you you go from whatever maybe feelings you had that were negative to be like, oh, dude, you're, you're, you're a sad, tragic ass figure. Like shit. Oh yeah. Yep. Oh, oh my God. Master told creature to go home. Like that just murder me anyway. I know. (laughs) feelings. Oh my God. Okay. Hello. Hello. You're so bright now. I'm under investigation. (laughs) (laughs) Where were you the night that? Nearly headless Nick and Justin Fitch Fletchney were petrified. Oh my god. <laughs> I feel nervous. <laughs> Jesse, also, you get an award for nailing that name on the first try without a fucking pause. Yeah. That's the first time anyone has ever done that in the history of time. I'm about to say, yeah. that's the first time I've done it in in this podcast, the multiple times I've had to say it. I always, I've mixed up his it's two last names. It's the worst name, too. why? Yeah. I get it. He's a pretentious dick, but you got to give him a pretentious British sounding name. Yeah. But mm-hmm. The double F. Uh, it's just. Yep. I feel glad that you guys are done with this book because it's like, aside from the Sorcerer's Stone, one of my least favorite books. In the I mean, series. same. Yeah. It's just so boring. I'm so excited to meet the Marauders. I'm so excited about book three. Yeah. Yes. But I will say, I, I did leave book two with a great appreciation for Myrtle, which was awesome. Yes. Yeah. And not as good of appreciation about how this book is written. Even if just for the fact that we fell in love with Myrtle, I feel like this was worth it. Because she's just great. Yeah. I would be interested to know if any of your listeners have, like, intel on J.K. Rowling's whereabouts the year that she wrote this book. Okay. Because maybe in 1998, where was she? What was, like, what was going on in her life on an emotional level that made her do this to everybody, you know? We have a lot of questions. I feel like part of it is that 
book six is the better written version of this book. In which we get a lot of information about Tom Riddle and about Harry and about Mm -hmm. pure blood bigotry, blah blah and about the importance of, and about the founders and, you know, Tom Riddle's slash Voldemort's obsession with them. Yeah. But book six is a much better book than this book. Yeah, infinitely. I think my favorite part of this book is the introduction of the concept of the Horcrux, which I'm very excited about, you know? Like, I think that that's like the only redeeming quality. I actually do also like a lot of the founders of Hogwarts stuff because it is as as a nerd, I'm also very interested. I'm like, oh yes, tell me more about the history of Hogwarts. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like this book is is a lot of just like laying groundwork. It's I feel yeah. like maybe what happened, maybe the answer to your question is she wrote book one, got like signed for a series storyboarded was like this is everything that i need to establish in order for the rest of this to happen and then tried to make a book out of that like tier one stuff so Mm -hmm. that the rest of the books would be possible and this is what happened also her publisher was like do it like we need it we need that book really soon yeah (laughs) and she was like oh okay so i don't have time to think about if when Hagrid said follow the spiders (laughs) and you know she was like just do it but then that meant that she would already know that the the monster in the chamber was the basilisk you know yeah also the fact that like there wasn't plumbing a thousand years ago yeah (laughs) literally it's such a big plot hole a huge plot especially the part where other pipes branch off of it that's like the biggest that's the thing that makes it the most (laughs) plot hole is that like it could have just been like a separate shoot pre-plumbing but the other pipes are connected to it so it's nonsense anyway you just could have had witches have plumbing a thousand years ago yeah the aqueducts were a thing in rome they could have had aqueduct piping at hogwarts it would have it would have made sense Yep. That was the reason anyway. that Lark was getting squeaky. It, yes. It was. <laughs> because he was so mad. He was so mad that he was getting squeaky. <sighs> womp womp. Okay. Well, <laughs> this is a book full of plot holes with some redeeming qualities. And very, very soon we are going to be talking about a brand new book, which is very exciting. Next week. Listeners, you are getting, um, we're going to be on Patreon for our $5 and up levels. We're going to be releasing a full length letter to the editor episode, but we are releasing the part about people's Patroni as a between books episode. We'll be doing these periodically as we continue amassing information. So that'll be cool. You'll like it. And then we're going to be back in two weeks with the first chapter of prisoner of azkaban and we have a really cool guest on that episode too so that's great and thank you for listening to the kaylee prophet sarah tell us about where we can find you before we do our spiel 
I'm on Instagram as Sar Warrior, S-A-R-W-A-R-R-I-O-R. Um, and Twitter as Sar Squared. That's me. <laughs> Follow me. I actually already, you tagged me in that thing. I did. You're so cute. And And two people added me. No, three people. Three of your followers. Thanks for following me, Charisma Black Hole, Emmy Adventure, and Outdoor Salvi. That's really cute and nice. I'm going to try to make you proud. You absolutely are going to make them proud. Okay, Jesse, tell the people about why they, where they can, how they can support us, and etc. <laughs> there, are, there are so many ways you can support us here at The Gaily Prophet. You can like... Or wait, like and subscribe. That's for YouTube. Um, <laughs> you can leave us a five star review on iTunes, Stitcher, Facebook, or wherever else you are listening to us. You can follow us on social media at we are we are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the Gaily Prophet. Um, share our content we make a lot of funny things that i'm sure your other nerdy friends are gonna want to see and these are the ways you can support us without having money these are totally free um if you have some extra cash lying around you can buy our merch or make a donation at our website uh thegalleyprofit.com um you get cool prizes when you donate um also you can get a cute t-shirt um meet other harry potter nerds it's a good time uh and biggest biggest oh my god my brain the, the medications weren't off <laughs> uh join us on patreon we're doing a cool patreon. thing for the whole month of october you can get a drawing from theo it's the best uh, and then That's also so cool. you will you can see all of our exclusive patreon only content yeah, for uh, instance, the video recording of this very episode that you're listening to right now. If you join at the $25 level, normally $10 and up patrons get the video recordings. But when the video is two and a half hours long that I have to go through and process, you have to pay $25 a month to be able to watch it because... Believe it or not, making Patreon content takes a significant amount of time. It's worth it. How, what level do they have to join at to listen to you both do this, the femme slash about Bellatrix and Molly? <laughs> the $5 and up level. <gasps> For only $5 a month, you could listen to a hot ass <laughs> reading by Lark and Jesse. That personally brought me so much joy. <laughs> um, like a lot of fucking joy. <laughs> so just do that because totally worth it. Thank you. We are yeah. no, thank shockingly you. good at making the queer blur. I think neither of us knew how it was going to go the first time we did it. And then we were like, oh, that was great. It's so fucking hilarious. I want, like, please invite me anytime would love to we're gonna make it happen you're gonna be love a great to join addition. you on that 
I know it's like role play, only less work is involved. <laughs> yes. It's literally the easiest thing I've ever edited of ours. All I have to do is take out silences while we think of what we're going to say. I don't have to do anything else. It's amazing. That's why it's only $5 and up. <laughs> it's very creative. The, uh, the Patreon content is actually directly tiered to how much time it takes us to make and or edit it. So mm-hmm. just so everyone knows, there is an absolute method to the uh there's there's a direct correlation anyway words are hard words are been doing this for so so long if you want to find me between episodes so that you can book a tarot reading with me which you obviously want to do uh you can find me at larkmalachi.com slash tarot you can also find me on instagram at larkmalachi and at radical healer um you can find me on Twitter at Jesse underscore Detroit, where I often retweet the weird and very educational things I learn on the internet. <laughs> uh, you can also find me on Instagram at Live from Detroit. Our music for a spoiler warning and our theme song are both by Kevin McLeod. Thank you. I don't remember your Facebook username who recently taught us that we don't know how to say the way that that name is spelled. <laughs> so 33 episodes, actually more than that because of the A's and B's. So some 40 something episodes into the making of this podcast, we now know that in fact, that music is by Kevin McLeod. And so you can find that information in our show notes as well as information about the creator of our logo and our weekly comics slash our fun Patreon join us in October perks, Theo Julian Forrester. Also, our spoiler warning was recorded by the unbelievably talented and incredibly attractive Sarah Sarwar. Thank you. <laughs> If anybody can find my mouth guard that I took out in the middle of the night last night in my sleep, I would really appreciate it. <laughs> Are you inviting people to come into your home? Come to my home. It's in, it's, it's, it's in your bed somewhere, probably. It's in my bed somewhere, but I made my bed. So, like, where is it? Such a good question. It's between your mattress and the wall, for sure. <laughs> or it's under un, un, up underneath your nightstand. Or... Yeah. It's a mom. If anybody has had this problem before, just at me. Jesse, do you have outro words for this episode? I actually don't have outro I words for this. Just come up with them. That's usually what um. she does. Until next time, Tara was cool. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Okay, I'm going to stop recording now. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Jenny. 
teaches our youth lair. I'm only 12, but I know I got to go. Oh, their solutions are fruitless. Hey, all they got, my friend, sister, down below. Come on, run, let's go. And I said, stick open up, tunnel dark and slimy. We slid on down to the chamber belly. And then my heart tried to oblivion me. Next thing I knew, Jenny, then Fox, and me get us out of here so I could set Dobby free. 